Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Thank you so much for being here. This is episode 109 with E.G. Han Schmitz. You can find him on Twitter at Latin Samurai. I'll tell you more about him in a moment. Thank you very much to everybody that has uh, got in touch about the Greg Callahan show from last week. You can email me, send Osher email at gmail.com. Also, you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, a bunch of people reached out this week, both publicly on Twitter and privately on email. Harrowing, harrowing stories. People sharing their own personal experiences with what I'm assuming, or what we can only guess, were similar gangs, if not the same gangs, to what we talked about last week. Um, people talking about home invasions, people talking about lucky escapes, yeah, really, really full on. Very intense uh, emails I got this week. And um, thanks, everybody, for reaching out. I'm grateful to Greg for sharing that story with me. Um, and once again, um, thanks for putting up with that show because it, it was a heavy one. Uh, much different one this week, which we'll get to in a moment. It's been a big week uh, for me just to check in. It's, uh, it's an interesting time of year in the entertainment industry. In my industry, this is, I think in politics, they call it the killing season, which is apt for this time of year in my industry, but it's also the hunting season because this is the time of year where people lose jobs, people get jobs. There's either blood on the floor or blood in your teeth. I've been doing a bit of both this week. <laughs> I, won't, I won't lie. Um, but it's um, it's been tricky to stay on top of things. You know, Deal making's a, a stressful time for anyone. Uh, the other morning, I woke up. <laughs> I woke up the other morning, 
uh, son hadn't come up yet, and I still, I just didn't want to let go of Audrey. I'm just kind of holding on to her, like John Lennon on the cover of that magazine with Yoko. I'm just holding on to her. She's like, I've got to go. I've got to get the kid ready for school. I'm just hold on. Don't, don't go yet. Don't go yet. <laughs> uh, those first 20 minutes where uh, your prefrontal cortex is still waking up, your ability to reason with the other parts of your brain that are terrified, uh, they were always kind of tricky for me. Um, thankfully, Audrey was kind of patient, and uh, she took me for a walk down a sculptures by, by the sea to get some perspective on life. But of course, then I find myself at the top of the cliffs that Greg was talking about last week, and uh, I, I just kind of got, uh, got a bit overtaken, and it, Audrey pretty much she grabbed me by the shoulders. She kind of shook me out of it. And I'm, I've got to be. I've got to say, I'm, I'm really grateful that I've got someone in my life that when I kind of get a bit overtaken by that sort of thing, there's someone whose perspective I can rely on. And uh, you know, I think it's important to have somebody like that that you know and love and trust that can help you in those moments. Um, but we ended up having a great walk. You know, did all the right things: physical activity, out in the sunshine, drank lots of water, spent time with somebody that you know I love and care for. Um, by the end of the walk, I felt a whole lot better, you know, so, uh, that's kind of how your day goes sometimes. <laughs> it's not all champagne and roses. That doesn't make sense for me. It's not all strawberries. Oh, Mr. Whippy. Can you hear the Mr. Whippy van? Mr. Whippy's in my area. If only I still ate soft serve. It's still exciting though to hear that noise. <laughs> so on a brighter note. This episode is brought to you today by The Iconic, Australia's leading online clothing store. You use The Iconic. I use The Iconic. Let's use The Iconic together. Support the people that support my show. You've already gone there, theiconic.com.au. Just go there, theiconic.com.au slash osher, O-S-H-E-R. Use the offer code on the screen there, and uh, that way they know these ads are working for them. The Iconic stock over 700 top brands, 50,000 products. They offer three-hour delivery in Sydney. Same-day shipping to Melbourne, Brisbane, Adelaide, and overnight to New Zealand. Free returns for 100 days. You shop at The Iconic anyway. If you want to support this show, just go to theiconic.com.au slash osher. Enter the offer code. Get 10% off full price styles with any purchase over 99 bucks. It'll save you some money. Doesn't cost you anything more. They throw a few bucks back to us to help the show be kicking along. You can shop right now from your phone, you know. You can multitask on your phone nowadays, so you can go over there to the web browser of your choice and buy something nice for the spring time or summer time. I think we're getting into that by now. Uh, theiconic.com.au slash osher. Enter the offer code at checkout. 10% off full price styles with any purchase over 99 bucks. The latest spring styles at your fingertips. So let me tell you about my guest today. Iji Hanshimis is a highly successful publisher, filmmaker, and lecturer from Japan. He lives in Ubud in Bali right now. You can find him on Twitter. His Twitter handle is at Latin Samurai. His exceptional manga biographies of influential world figures have been published in 25 countries in 10 different languages. At 35, while working with the biggest media company in Tokyo, his life pretty much resembled the picture-perfect example of what a highly successful person should have. And following a moment in his life that we'll talk about in this show, E.G. changed course, and he embarked on a global search for sustainable happiness, where he and his filmmaking partner, Rocco Bellic, traveled the world searching for what makes people genuinely and sustainably 
happy. You can see the fruits of their travel at thehappymovie.com. You can rent it. You can watch it right online right after this show or during this show. I don't know. I don't mind. He's a very fascinating guy. He's a lovely man. This one's just full of wisdom. Uh, it's a conversation that took place in an Airbnb in Amsterdam. Uh, he came to Think, where I work in Amsterdam, and uh, gave a lecture there. Oh, we did a forum together, he and I, and he was graceful enough to come and have a similar conversation with me up in my uh, my little one-bedroom place. So uh, there's tea sloping, there's crunchy biscuits, there's mic noise, but there's also just bombs of wisdom. Enjoy this conversation on the second floor of an Airbnb on Chalamadijk in Jordan, in, sorry, in the Jordan, that's how they say it, in Amsterdam. This is E.G. Hanshimis. So do you do this often? Boy. I mean, the, the, I know you're in the radio industry, right. but uh, uh, this, mm. you know, setting up, traveling around and, mm. and that. Oh, nice, nice. I travel with all this stuff. Right, right. Wow. So the light stand that was on that chair. Mm. I will. I travel with all of it. These right. are really good. Mm, let me see. A ginger, walnut, vegan. Yeah. Cookies. Yeah, the the uh, Dutch people are so healthy, mm. health conscious, jogging all the time, and that's really good. Yeah. Okay, hang on. Mm. Do you put the uh, sponsors uh, on your show, or I, I've just started. Mm, nice. I've just, yeah. just, just started. So right. we're seeing how that's going to work out. Mm. I've done. My hundred and four episodes. Wow. Mm. Around or, or life or around? Um, I usually do it to talk to someone who's figured out a way to get paid to do what they love. Mm. I see, I see. And it's usually a parallel story. Mm. Okay. Pretty much. Mm. All the time. But that's what the, um, the audience wants to hear. But I think, no, no, just like a method of how people do things mm -hmm. okay. is usually always the same. Mm. I did it for free right. until I was the best at it. Mm -hmm. Then when it came time to hire someone, mm -hmm. there was no other choice but me. You became your own and, brand. Yeah. Mm. And that's the same with uh, authors, photographers, mm. Mm. artists, whoever I've talked to. Right, right, same. right. It's mm. the same, same, same. Mm. I'm going to eat this and then we're going to start. Sure, it's sure. It's so tasty. They're so crunchy. Yeah. Are you teaching at uh, Think at this moment? Yeah. Okay. How how's, uh, how the class? Good. Yeah. Today was good. Yeah. That's what I did this morning. I'll show you. Mm. Anyway. How are you, EG? Very good. Welcome. Oh, it's always studying? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, I'm <laughs> glad to be here. Right. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thank you. How are you feeling today? I'm doing great. The nice weather and people are friendly. So yeah. I have a big smile yeah. on my face. Yeah. Um, thanks for agreeing to do this. Thanks for agreeing to have kind of a similar conversation to the one we had the other day at school. But I'm, I really like what you're doing and I really would like to share what you're doing with, with, with more people. Um, but... I think what's you know what's interesting. We are we're, we're a long way from where both of us grew up mm -hmm. <laughs> right now. Right. Where uh, where did you grow up? I was born and raised in uh, Yokohama, Tokyo, uh, near Tokyo, uh, in Japan. Yeah, right. And uh, you know, I finished high school in Japan, and then after that, I went to the states to learn English. Then after that, you know, pretty much everywhere. Wait, wait a second. I've got no idea what it's like 
except for the time that I went in Iseko and on Hokkaido, I've got no idea what it's like to be a kid in Japan. Mm. What do you remember about being a kid? I had a very, uh, you know, the happy upbringing. Um, you know, I'm always uh, having a great friends and, and uh, you know, uh, did the sports and, and uh, you know, having fun, hanging out. Yeah. But um, um, interestingly, uh, um, as you pretty much like pass the sixth grade, then uh, the societal pressure started happening. Uh, I was taught uh, to, like, I was forced to study harder, you know, uh, behave well, and, and uh, you know, there's so much pressure coming. And then uh, uh, the happy childhood suddenly, you know, from sixth to seventh grade, like, changed into pressure. And then I think many uh, kids today in Japan feel the same. So, so it was good, but to a certain to, to be what, 11 years old, 12 years old? 11, 12, 13, then, then I, you start feeling, and then actually society uh, kind of hinting that, okay, fun time is up, now you should get ready uh, to, to study harder, be serious, you know, because the real world is coming. Uh, and uh, at school, uh, you know, the kids are taught to behave and uh, become conformist and... Uh, and so that's what I did. And and the society pressure. So we're not just talking your parents. We're talking your teachers. We're talking everyone around you. Oh, so what are you gonna? You know, what are you doing now? Why aren't you doing your homework? That kind of thing. Right, right, right. I, actually, I had a very interesting uh, uh, conversation with uh, my Dutch friend, and then the similar thing is happening in, uh, in the, the, the Dutch society as well. He mentioned that uh, you know there was a group of uh, adults and then uh, uh, kids getting together and then uh, you know talking about something and then the one parent uh, asked uh, you know uh, some other kids uh, what do you want to become when you when you grow up and the kid said uh, well am I somebody you know it's like an automatic assumption that the kids are nobody huh. you know until you become somebody. Like mostly like professional, but I think it's um, it's very important uh, to know that you know, hey, uh, you are who you are. You know, you your personality shouldn't be defined by professions. The kid said, "Aren't I somebody? I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm somebody already." <laughs> right, right. <laughs> if only I had that kind of insight mm-hmm. when I was when I was a kid. Mm. So, is it like uh, you know? I talk about this on this show a lot. I went to the only boys in my school and there was a lot of pressure of it was just an expectation that you would go to university you would go as hard as you could and try to get into law medicine Mm -hmm. engineering like that kind of stuff right and that if you didn't get that then you were a failure Mm -hmm. was that similar in japan more so i would say yeah yeah um you're talking about australia right Yeah, yeah yeah i think you know, Australians are cool, you know, I have my impression, but Australians are like following your dream and, and uh, you know, just live fully, surf a little bit, you know. <laughs> um, but if you say that uh, that wasn't the case in Australia, imagine that the Japan was like a much, much worse. Mm. Yeah, so much pressure and uh, um, it's, uh, it's suffocating. How did you cope with the pressure? Um... Interestingly, I did well within that pressure. Uh, I've been always 
good student, not like excellent, excellent student, but I was always decent. Uh, sports, I wasn't excellent, but I was always good, popular, and uh, you know, I managed well. Uh, so if there are like a manual of uh, successful life, Japanese version, I scored very high, you mm. know, and got to uh, to a place that I could enjoy. You know, luxury, all the material goods, and then you know, high-paid job and everything. Um, You're working for a media company, right? Yeah, uh, I was working for uh, probably the the biggest uh, media conglomerate uh, in Japan, and uh, you know, it's a, like nice, fancy world. The image is good. So, being a member of that enterprise, you know, I was uh, I was viewed, you know, a successful mm -hmm. uh, guy, and then there's a horrible expression in Japan uh, called the kachigumi and makegumi. Kachigumi is literally translated winning team and makegumi is uh, the losing team or losers and uh, uh, to the eyes of many people I was definitely one of the kachigumi members you know so society kind of splits into two groups whether you are kachigumi or makegumi and uh, uh, so, so I became kachigumi to the eyes of many people. But the question is, was I uh, really happy? was another story. And uh, uh, I guess we're going to talk more about when did that. You, when did you first get a club? I was thinking about this. I mean, we, I went riding with my friend this morning and um, we were talking that if you don't go through something that kind of breaks you, unless you're lucky enough to have figured out how it all works early, like this kid who says, I am already somebody, that kid's going to be fine. But if you don't go through something that breaks you, you're not going to have the opportunity to put yourself back together mm -hmm. in, a, in, a, in, a, in a kind of in a better way. But you're gonna, you kind of have to break it. Mm -hmm. It has to be broken. You can't right. just turn around one day and go, I don't want to do this anymore. Right. It has to actually hurt right. until you decide, I'm going to do something different now. Yeah. I, re I was remembering that, but years before this happened, I'd be at dinner and we'd be in this beautiful restaurant. And I was, this is 10 years ago, all right? I was, I was earning good money. I was doing like five jobs. It was, it was all right. And I remember eating this meal that costs, I can't even remember how much. I didn't even taste it. Mm -hmm. And I remember it was early. It was like the food just didn't taste mm -hmm. anymore. I didn't, I didn't even, I was like, I might as well be eating a sandwich. Mm -hmm. But I made myself. Right, right. I'm eating this $40 dish from this hotel, this restaurant. Parked my valet out the car, the front. The valet's 25 bucks. Mm -hmm. You know, I pay the bill at the end with a bottle of wine. It's 300 US dollars. And I'm like, yeah, just put it on my credit card. Right. I'm such a big guy. I didn't even remember what the meal tasted like. Right. Right? So what were the first signs for you that the kachigumi might not have been working? Right, okay. So uh, as I uh, mentioned, um, I became one of the kachigumi members, uh, you know, having a good job with a high salary and living in a, a penthouse of a tall um, the apartment complex. And then I had a, a yellow convertible. Which is very rare. What uh, kind Japan. of convertible? What kind of car? It's a Saab. Yeah. Saab, you know, yellow convertible. And then, uh, um, you know, I even if it's like a freezing day, uh, I put my girl, beautiful girlfriend next to me uh, at that time, and I put the hood up. 
uh, it wasn't like a, me to enjoy the openness, but it was to present to the society that hey, look, look, look. It's not like look at look at like my beautiful girlfriend and look at this great car. It's like a hey, look, 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 look at me with this beautiful girl in this beautiful you know car. And uh, um, in retrospect, it was such a shallow you know, ego uh, uh, talking, but uh, uh, I felt so natural because I thought that I deserve to do that. So, uh, um, you know, and in fact, uh, I had a lot of pleasurable happiness. You know, I, you know, uh, had a, you know, I got invited to parties and then drinking champagne and then, uh, you know, do, did some crazy stuff and then still get paid well. But uh, uh, there was uh, uh, one event happened and it, it became a trigger to change my whole directions of life. Um, I uh, was uh, commuting uh, in the morning from my apartment in a very posh part of Tokyo called Jiugaoka. You know, people look, you know, really excited to live in this posh area. Um, and then uh, uh, I was uh, taking a train, very crowded, uh, from uh, Jiugaoka to Shinbashi, which is the, uh, the business district. And the uh, uh, train was very packed. And I was, of course, I'm a member of Kachigumi. I'm wearing this like nice tailored shirt. You know, all the, tailored know. shirts aren't right. an extravagance. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then that nicely like ironed and then that, everything and was perfect. And you didn't iron it. I didn't iron it. You know, I let somebody else do it. You know, I'm Kachigumi. <laughs> and... Uh, um, so, and then I have this like a leather bag, which was, you know, I mean, from some brand I forgot. And uh, I got on the train and then, uh, uh, you know, uh, I noticed that in front of me, there's this uh, uh, old gentleman um, standing uh, and then I hold on to this uh, um, the handle thing. The, the railing, yeah, the, the, railing. the handle, yeah. Right. And then uh, he doesn't seem well. He was uh, he he looks pale and he was sweating and then uh, uh, obviously he was sick. Uh, and uh, but he was hanging on. And then after a while, the train gets very shaky. And then uh, uh, he lost his balance and then uh, bumped into me. Uh, and then, uh, his sweat, you know, uh, kind of you know uh, smeared on my nice ironed. Uh, tailored made shirt uh, and uh, I was so furious I didn't scream at him but I was staring at him like uh, for a while and you know like really like a vicious look and uh, uh, I'm you know maybe not in Australia and especially not in the Netherlands uh, I'm not a tall guy but in Japan I'm a tall well-built guy and this old man was so like a feared and then he said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I was like, keep on staring at him, you know. And uh, it went on and on and on. Then something happened. It was uh, almost like a ALS uh, ice bucket challenge kind mm -hmm. of stuff. The sensation that I had was exactly that. Like a, it almost uh, I felt that somebody splashed cold icy water onto my face it was a huge wake-up call and then the, the sensation that i felt was uh made me made me think that oh my god i don't like this guy 
But this guy doesn't mean this old man. This guy means this Kachigumi member who appear very successful and happy, uh, but he get ticked off, uh, you know, with such a trivial thing. Certainly, when I was a kid, I didn't want to grow up to be this guy, and that was pretty strong uh, sensation because I didn't like myself. Then uh, uh, that was a wake-up call, and I thought that, oh my God, you know, uh, I have to analyze my life, and then I started the kind of uh, assessment, uh, and it was true that not only with anger, but with sadness, disappointment, jealousy, uh, you know, insecurity, and all that negative uh, emotions, I can get that like, easily triggered. If some external condition or somebody says something, something uh, you know happens, I go into the deep ditch of these negative emotions, and uh, then I start questioning myself: uh, Am I really kachigumi, not having this balanced emotion? So I start uh, uh, exploring what are the uh, the options to uh, get me this different kind of happiness, and. Yeah, so that was uh, the beginning of our adventure. Did you see anybody in your life that had happiness that you wanted and you couldn't figure out how they got it? Um, interestingly, uh, uh, when I was uh, 19, um, it was the first year uh, after I moved to the States and uh, you know, started learning English. And then uh, uh, I became a good friend of an uh, exchange student from, uh, from England. And he grew up in Africa, and uh, um, he, long story very short, like we together uh, thought that there's something that young students can do. So we uh, organized an NGO and uh, raised some money and then uh, went to Africa and then donated the, the money and the vehicles. And uh, uh, so that was a very interesting uh, experience in my life. But what's amazing was that the... Uh, in a refugee camp uh, in Malawi, where a bunch of uh, Mozambicans at that time having the civil war uh, fled, many of them fled, and uh, there are some horrendous stories that I that we heard, and, and I probably shouldn't mention because the listeners may lose some appetite for three days. Like it was so uh, so bad, and then those people had tremendous uh, suffering, but uh, they in the in the in the refugee camp, there's a sense of cheerfulness. Although they are hungry, they're smiling, and uh, they have absolutely nothing. Uh, but the, they somehow manage to find the beauty, uh, sense of humor, kindness in that environment. So that, in the middle of like my early midlife crisis, after becoming Kachigumi, I was questioning, hmm, Where's my happiness? I didn't get it in abundance. But these people living in such a scarcity has something you know, very positive. So that was kind of like a wake-up moment right. as well. Yeah. So where, where did you start to look? What did you do? Right. So um, uh, actually I was extremely lucky. Because I needed to start my personal journey to find real happiness, but uh, when I was, uh, you know, 
contemplating on quitting job and then starting my own venture, uh, believing that that would make me to find out what the real happiness. My uh, special friend uh, living in the U.S. and he's a successful uh, documentary filmmaker. His name is Rocco Balich. Called me and said, "Hey, Ag, um, you know uh, my next documentary film." Uh, got just funded. Uh, would you like to join? And then I, I had been always like a fan of movies, so I thought, oh, that sounds interesting, but not completely, uh, you know, convinced that I would do. It. But I asked, like, okay, so what's the theme? And he said, okay, we are going to make a documentary film on happiness, and that was like a bingo because I myself was interested in. Uh, the secret of happiness, personally, but uh, here is an opportunity uh, with which I can travel around the world with my best friend, <laughs> and, and learning the secret of happiness, hanging out with amazing people in the world, plus get paid. You know, not a lot, but you know. So I said, bring it on, and then I quit my job, and then uh, went on a six years journey uh, as far as this uh, filmmaking is concerned. Uh, what happened to the penthouse? Penthouse, I, uh, I, uh, I, I got rid of it, uh, I got rid of my car, and I moved to uh, uh, his house in the garage. So it's interesting that wow. I didn't do much research. I mean, he is actually, uh, uh, he won a car, uh, no, he got nominated for Oscar. Wow. And he won Sundance, a very highly regarded documented filmmaker. But and then this, this guy is inviting me to join his new filmmaking. So, um, in the back of my head, I was dreaming about, okay, Hollywood, you know, <laughs> Beverly Hills, blonde girls and then the champagne and then the red carpet. <laughs> Actually, Rocco has a, a very, I shouldn't say like a rundown, but like a, you know, the house uh, in a very bad part of uh, uh, San Francisco uh, called Vallejo. I don't know if you know. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty rundown uh, mm -hmm. uh, town, and then uh, um, you know he has a family, you know, very loving family. But uh, I end up like a, a moving into his garage. Um, so you know, here I was. I I became like a VIP, you know, uh, no, no, not VIP, MVP mm -hmm. of the, my former company, big company. Here I am, you know, living in a uh, you know garage. Uh, in a house in Vallejo. But, how, was, how was that? But actually the funny thing was that the uh, uh, in uh, retrospect uh, that was the best time of my life, interestingly. Mm. Um, every day was joy uh, and uh, it's, it's many people actually ask, um, you know, so how's my happiness, you know, after investigating happiness and, and making a film on happiness and doing uh, other stuff and uh, um, it is true that uh, I feel a lot of joy presenting the film on a stage you know and uh, Q&A session and uh, people you know round of applause you know, standing ovation sometimes, and, and uh, you know, telling me that uh, you are you did such a great job, blah blah blah. Certainly, it is good for my happiness and good for my ego. And uh, uh, 
that's wonderful. But now looking back, um, I don't compare the degree of happiness, but uh, there was a different quality of happiness when we were struggling, you know, because it took six years. Original plan was two years. Why? Because things uh, that we didn't expect happened. You know, we ran out of money. Uh, Rocco and I had a you know, difference in the direction of the film. Um, you know, we, you know, so there are not always good times. You know, there are some tough times. And, um, but interestingly, before we started the project, kind of like we had an agreement that uh, because we are making a film on happiness, we have to be happy. And uh, someday we'll make a great film, feature length great film. Uh, and then, uh, um, sure enough, uh, we may be on a stage, you know, the premiere, world premiere, North American premiere. People love it, you know, and then, uh, you know, they think that we did a great job. That day may arrive or may never arrive. But, uh, if we put the, all the gratification at that point, then uh, the uh, the journey leading up to that stage may be kind of the endurance. So we we thought that we have to enjoy every single step, uh, making sure that uh, we'll enjoy it. And uh, I still remember that uh, uh, I went to Egypt with the Rocco's brother, Adrian, and uh, we were filming and... Uh, um, one day, uh, it was the Cairo before the revolution. Mm. So there were uh, uh, Mubarak, uh, you know, the government was so strict about, you know, uh, about the journalists or uh, documented filmmakers filming and revealing some secrets that they don't uh, want to reveal to the world. So uh, we realized that we were chased by, uh, like uh, followed by secret police. And uh, uh, one day, Adrian and I were filming uh, a girl. Uh, she's a kind of uh, activist slash popular blogger, you know. And she was criticizing the government. And uh, we were filming her at the cafe. Then the secret police really felt that okay, you know, that's it. You know, we have to capture them. And uh, um, long story short, uh, we felt that uh, you know we are being uh, followed. So we started running away and, uh, you know, we have a limited budget, so we cannot throw the big camera away. So we are carrying, both Adrian and I were carrying this big camera, running uh, in the street of Cairo and being felt that we are being chased. Kind of panicky moment, but in the middle of it, because we have this like a rule that, you know, we as a team have to enjoy every step of this journey. So... In the middle of it, like we got kind of like looking at each other, running, and I say, "Hey, uh, are you having fun?" <laughs> so I think, uh, but life is like that, you know. If you think that uh, this present moment is a preparation for some some day that is glorious, then you can't enjoy it. So uh, it's good that we have that um, kind of pact at the beginning. And by the sounds of things, you found that to be true again and again with the people that you spoke to, right? Right, right, right. Uh, so you're going to edit it, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. I edit all my crunching. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, by the way, like... My so, if there's anything you don't want, I'll cut it out. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so just a just a little thing like a, a English is my second language. Yeah. So um, if I say some joke, you know, assume that the, I'm twenty percent funnier. <laughs> <laughs> it's a disclaimer. And uh, if I say something clever, listeners, please add like twenty percent more uh, cleverness to whatever I said. <laughs> I found that really frustrating when I was. Um trying to learn Hebrew with my ex-wife uh -huh. and I was with her for a long time oh. I found it really frustrating that I could speak to people but I couldn't be funny or smart no. and it was really shit because <laughs> I didn't have the nuances of, right. of, of language so right, right, right. I wish I could speak more than lang one language yeah you know but the, you know I feel sometimes sorry for native English speakers because they don't get to the whole world now speak English so you don't get to uh try out in foreign languages yeah so i only know how to say one thing in japanese hmm. um uh oh nice nice Dame. <laughs> no you can survive with that yeah that's all i need to know how to yeah say. yeah right that means i don't eat meat only vegetables right good that's it but you're a vegetarian since uh, vegetarian since about 24 24 okay. vegan since about 28 oh, okay got it yeah. and then the health energy level very good yeah i mean you have you're a very energetic guy run three marathons um, yeah I, my best i ever did was i ran a marathon on a sunday mm -hmm. and i ran a half marathon the following saturday wow yeah. well, that was the best i ever did yeah so, say it again like full marathon full marathon on a sunday all right on Los Angeles, right, and then six days later, in New York, I ran a half marathon. Wow, I'm impressed, but I'm gonna impress you back. Go. Okay, so um, I had a, a you know a big surgery on yeah, my liver. Yeah, you did, yeah. yeah. Uh, so my uh, three years ago, my dad uh, uh, was dying of uh, liver cancer. And uh, we learned that the only way to save him to uh, is a, a liver transplant. Long story short, I gave half of my liver, but my health was, oh my God, like winding down and I'm 44 years old. Um, I was 42 back then. And uh, I thought that, you know, I'm getting like weaker, didn't feel energy and pain is still there. And then uh, all my friends thought that, okay, that's it, AG, the energetic guy, uh, happy guy is finally winding down, you know. Then, uh, uh, including me, mm. you know, I was thinking that, oh my God, maybe this is it. Then I'm going to be like really sorry ass, you know, old man. But I thought that some of me said, no, nope, I don't let that happen. And I decided that, uh, and I checked some calendar and then uh, I live in Bali. And in the one year anniversary of my surgery, there uh, was going to be... Uh, um, Bali International Marathon. Oh, yeah. So I said, fuck it, man. Uh, <laughs> you know, on my first year anniversary after the big, big surgery, 12 hours operation, ripping half of my liver, I'm going to uh, do it. And I had never run full marathon, even a half marathon before. And, uh, you know, I start practicing, and then a little by little, I'm gaining my, you know, my energy. You know, I had this like Rocky Balboa thing mm -hmm. going on, you know, then uh, uh, I did it. It took me a long time, but I completed it. Then, uh, then I realized that, oh my God, if you put like really mind 
and spirit into it, you know, most of things are possible. So, yeah. You mentioned um, you mentioned fuck it, which I know was one of your favorite phrases. Right, right. I heard you use it the other day. Mm. Um, could you take me through that? Right. So, uh, um, I learned uh, some important life lesson uh, through this journey on happiness and uh, um, something that I keep very close to my heart is uh, English phrase um, and it sounds actually poetic uh, to me and uh, it's in essence it's a word of wisdom courage um, detachment and uh, optimism and uh, that is as you said uh, it's fuck it you know not like a fuck it you know it's just yeah, pronunciation is very important fuck it you know maybe like you have to add like a, oh fuck it you know <laughs> um, but come to think of it um, it is it has so much you know uh, in that phrase um, and the funny thing is that when you are speaking English you know, this word represent the phenomena. The, this simple phrase represent the philosophy. And then, uh, that's in the English spoken culture. Whereas in many countries don't have that convenient terms. So the spirit is not well manifested. So uh, there are so many uh, things that I like about the English spoken society and so many things that I don't like about. But as far as the spirit of fuck it is concerned, I think it's great. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you're going around the world, you're getting chased by secret police, mm -hmm. giggling, like Indiana Jones running through Cairo. <laughs> yeah, interestingly, when I was chased, in my mind, seriously, I heard like a... <laughs> Did you find a basket behind him? <laughs> yeah. So, you're going around the world, you're trying to find it, you're talking to professors, you're talking to monks, you're talking to all kinds of people. When did it start, when did you start to see the parallels? When did you start to see the things that were the same? How mm -hmm. early? Right. Um, so, our mission was to find universal happiness. Uh, because we are making a film on happiness, we have to capture that. And uh, we did the homework before we go, went into a journey. We read a lot of books, research papers, saw a bunch of movies, and, and uh, did a decent amount of you know, uh, investigation. And there are some keywords pop up, such as positive psychology, gratitude journal, uh, flow, exercise, you know, vitamin B12, you know, mindfulness, and all that. But uh, uh, we wanted to uh, find out uh, what would be the most potent, uh, most powerful happiness ingredients, which doesn't only work for the special demographic. I mean, we are looking for something that works for pretty much everybody, you know, from different race, different countries, spiritual traditions, income status and all. Then uh, first, it wasn't an easy task. Nothing came out as obvious. But, uh, uh, you know, a few months into the investigation, uh, we realized that something 
very common among happy people. But a, a kind of happiness uh, uh, that in English is said to be contentment, like a content people. On the other hand, like a pleasurable happiness uh, is uh, relatively easy to attain. You save up some money and then uh, drink nice champagne and go to Hawaii and then uh, drink piña colada on the beach, you know, or party like rockstar, you know. That's attainable. Uh, but we are particularly interested in contentment kind of happiness and trying to find and find out the secret of contentment kind of happiness. And, and uh, uh, one day it became very clear meeting, having met so many people and uh, uh, the fact that we found uh, was that the, uh, there are no happy assholes on earth. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It is, uh, it is impossible to have contentment kind of happiness, being selfish, self-centered, you know, uh, egoistic. Uh, that was my uh, observation because we didn't see any examples. Like ha the people who are oozing out with satisfaction, contentment, they are very kind, uh, altruistic, and uh, very giving. And... Uh, I wanted to ask the uh, question, Nasher. Um, if um, if you think of the three least happy people, you know, the miserable people, and some of them have a you know some tragedy recently, you know, then let's put them aside. But in general, uh, the least happy people that you know, maybe I assume they are more self-centered, you know, uh, more egoistic. Absolutely. Right. Right. Now, hang on, though. These sure. people do find happiness in things like a big boat, mm -hmm. pretty girlfriend, eating the $300 dinner. You know, they have this happiness, but mm -hmm. it's fleeting. Mm -hmm. It's gone within the space of a day. It's gone within a couple of hours. Yeah. I don't know if these... I'm thinking... I couldn't think of three. I'm thinking of two. Hmm. What what uh, their names? I won't say. <laughs> <laughs> They're both men. Um, I won't say, but I'm trying to imagine these people having a feeling of contentment mm -hmm. and what they would need to do to get that feeling of contentment. Mm. And I can't picture them being 
cont- uh, now hang on a sec. Are, are we going for contentment because it's it lasts longer, it's more sustainable? Is that why contentment is the thing to go for? I don't know the duration of it, uh, but my impression is that the pleasurable happiness is short-lived. You know, mm. it's a spike of mm. feelings. And know, it usually positive. costs usually costs money. Right, right, right. <laughs> and then uh, you know how to get them, the then it fades away. Yeah. And you have to, you need an, the more resource to get that again. Mm. It's just like a spike yeah. of a positive emotion, which I enjoy. Mm. Um, but uh, I think happiness is made of a different kind of uh, frequency, so to speak. I mean, it's not as spiky and dramatic as pleasurable kind of happiness. But uh, if you think about it, like, a, you know, the, there's a, this like warm, like steady, you know, almost like a warm blanket kind of feeling, you know, make you feel cuddly and, and uh, you know, the soft and kind. That happiness also exists, and then, uh, you can't buy this feeling, uh, I assume. Um, and then, uh, because it's consistent, not as spiky, but consistent, uh, maybe it feels long lasting. Mm. Yeah, right, right. But yeah, the people that I think who are the least happy people, they're what are their names? No, no, no. They're, they're, they're unlikely to think of others. They may think of others sometimes, uh-huh. but generally, um, one in particular has a, you know, advanced himself mm. by stepping on others. Right, right. And... I don't see this person as happy at all. Right, right. You know, this yeah. person's got all the um, I forgot the word now. The the two classes in Japan. Kach- kachigumi. Yeah, kachigumi. Quality. Oh yeah, yeah. He's yeah, got it all. Yeah, got it all. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know though. Right, and then uh, you know you said that the three hundred dollars champagne, the bottle of champagne, or you know, oh, the dinner was three hundred dollars. Dinner, right? Yeah. You know, but I. S- you know, I wonder, okay, so here's a $10 steak, yeah. and here's $25 steak. You know, both are tasty, and I would say that $25 steak uh, is probably like a 1.7 times tastier. Not you know, two and a half times. Yeah, not <laughs> two and a half. And then if you order like $300 piece of steak... It's certainly not like 30% tastier. You know, it's probably like a 2.4%. No, I mean 240% tastier. Yeah. So the the, the rest of it, the rest of the, the, the gap is just for your ego, right? <laughs> Basically, like this is an ego-pleasing thing. Um, and, and, you know, I enjoy. If somebody else pays, I, yeah. I'll eat it. But there are so many things that, that you can do with uh, the money if you, let's say, I don't, I'm not here to preach, but uh, if you share, because the fact that we are living in the 21st century, um, our glass of happiness is almost full. You know, nothing much would excite you. Uh, you know, like when I was a kid, like the thought of having to Amsterdam really excited me. You know, it was like a dream come true. My father's generation, you know, they didn't even, my dad didn't even know where the Amsterdam is. 
you know, my grandpa's generation, you know, this is totally insane adventure. You know, maybe like a few people from Japan can come to Amsterdam. But we can achieve it so easily. And then the first time I was so happy, you know, I've been to Amsterdam like, a, you know, maybe five, five times. Every time it gets less and less, you know, uh, amazing. And then, uh, so the fact that we are living in the 21st century with uh, a lot of access to many great things, we are um, having like a low fuel efficiency uh, on happiness, you know. If you pour some gasoline of happiness, we're like a big SUV. Like you run only a little bit, you know. Whereas if you have a low, you know, very, you know, I mean, if your reception of happiness is very good, you can run so much. Yeah. And having said that, um, it's almost like my glass of happiness is full. So no matter how much you pour, it flows out. You can't get any more full. Yeah. yeah. And then... Uh, at that point, the uh, the way to make you happy is to again, like I'm, I, I'm, I sound like I'm preaching, but if you share this water uh, and then filling somebody else the glass, then you get the joy out of it. And uh, I have a um, very interesting experience uh, um, a couple of years ago. Um, I live in Bali and uh, I did a, a charity screening of uh, my movie, Happy. Uh, and uh, probably like 150 people showed up at the yoga studio. And uh, we raised about like $1,200. And the money was going to go to uh, this uh, charity uh, in Bali, um, which uh, give surgery to uh, Balinese people with the Cadillac. Oh, right. Yeah. Cataract surgery. Cataract surgery. It's right. A, yeah. Right. And then uh, it's common because, uh, I don't know, the, uh, the Bali is so small and then, uh, you know, there's a marriage, uh, you know, between like a cousins and, you know, mm. that is common. And then somehow it creates uh, a cataract more yeah, often right. than not. So the cataracts, how do you call it? Cataract? Cataract. Cataract. Yeah. See, my, my, my accent, but add 20% yeah. more. So that you appreciate I'll also say 20% more charming. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> See? <laughs> okay. Because I have the benefit of being in your presence. For right. people who are listening, I right. just want to let them know. Yeah. <laughs> Ladies out there, find out my email address. <laughs> um, so, uh, where was I? Um, so, we... And you gave the money to the foundation. Yeah, foundation. The cataract and then uh, uh, it costs to give a... a Surgery, it costs 30 bucks per patient. Okay, $30, I can give a site to somebody. That's good news. And then the $1,200, so you do math, like, a, you know, a decent number of people will regain the eyesight. Then uh, uh, the screening was done, donate the money, and then I had to fly back to Tokyo, you know, for uh, some business meetings. And uh, uh, I had a meeting with one of my former colleagues uh, whose company got just recently IPO'd. So he has a lot of money, right? And we had some like a chit chat, a nice business meeting. And then, uh, uh, you know, it was, uh, we had dinner. And after dinner, uh, of course, I didn't pay for it. He paid for it, right? And then after dinner, he said, okay, uh, Eiji-san, you know, I'll take you to something very special. 
you know. So he was like, he had a big smile in his face and uh, hinting that, uh, okay, this is what the richest would do in the Japanese society. So I was expecting, wow, what kind of entertainment will come up. Um, then he, uh, you know, we took a taxi and then uh, we went to this uh, hostess bar uh, in the middle of Tokyo. The hostess bar is not like a, the whole house. I mean, it's just like a the, the drinking place with beautiful women sit, sitting next to you and then uh, made all kinds of compliments and then uh, pour some beer or champagne to your glass and then we like socialize with, with these uh, beautiful ladies. And certainly, beautiful ladies. I, you know, uh, I love their company, but you know, the conversation very superficial. And uh, uh, I order, I don't know, gin and tonic or something. And then she brought it, and I checked the bill later on, and it cost thirty bucks. Okay, thirty bucks. And I thought, oh, okay, well, I mean, that's what they enjoy. You know, thank you. You know, but I didn't get any uh, joy out of it. You know. Then I flew back to Bali. And that was when uh, uh, then I uh, received a phone call from the uh, this uh, uh, institute where I, you know, which I uh, donated money to, and uh, this lady said, "Hey, Eiji-san, uh, there's gonna be a, um, a visit to the village where one of the uh, uh, the kids who went through the surgery will uh, uh, living." So. You know, they are going to this whole doctors and a team of doctors and nurses visiting many villages and then particularly go to this village where this one boy is living. And uh, basically we paid for his surgery. And that's the day they, uh, I mean, they invited me to join the day to remove the bandage out of his eyes. And be there when he could see. Right. right. Oh, so it's like, a, it's like, you know, well, nice, you know, uh, I wanted to see the fruit of what I did. I joined the, the trip and then visited the small village. And then, uh, in Bali, the, each village has uh, this like a, a community get-together place. Mm. And that's where uh, this bandage removal is going to be held. And sure enough, like a bunch of uh, villagers you know, get together. And uh, on one side, there's uh, doctors and then the nurses and then some, some people from the institute surrounding this like, young boy, seven years old, you know. Mm. Uh, of course, he's covered with a like, bandage, right? And then on the, and the people, the village people around them. And then on one corner, there's a bunch of uh, uh, ladies, women in the mid-30s, you know, like, uh, you know, getting together. And I kind of sense that, uh, oh, maybe one of them uh, is uh, mother of uh, this kid because uh, the, the female of that age wasn't around the kid, you know. Mm. So just giving a space to the doctors to do the job. So the ladies, probably like seven or eight of them, uh, kind of sitting uh, apart from the, uh, the, the, the kid with the doctors. So the, they are removing the, the bandage. And after completely removing it, it's still shiny to his eyes. So he was like slowly, slowly open his eyes. And these women are looking very like uh, you know, anxiously, you know. And then slowly, slowly he started like, gaining the vision. And then, by the way, this kid uh, never had a you know, sight. He never saw. So he never saw. For the first time, he saw something. And he looked at this like a bunch of ladies. 
you know, by the way, this kid didn't know who his uh, mom was, right? Because like, he had never seen his mom. Interestingly, he like run into this the lady. Uh, he didn't miss. Like he just went straight at the 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 in the the hands of uh, his mother. Mm. You know, so it was like a totally like goosebump moment. How could he know that was the, his mother? And all that like, goosebump feeling cost me thirty bucks. <laughs> so this like a stupid cocktail or gin tonic that I ordered thirty bucks. You know, didn't add me any, you know, uh, liquid of happiness into my cup. But just sharing it in a very effective way, you get all kind of buzz and happiness. So that's when I learned that, okay, you know, I mean, for my, for selfish reason, I should increase my happiness by doing unselfish thing because it's actually pragmatic. It's very effective. So... That's a hell of a story, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a hell of a story. <laughs> wow. You know, we've I've, you know, there's many people listening. We Australians go to Bali all the time, as right. you know. And you know, to see how we live versus how some of the Balinese people live in the villages to to imagine that this kid was going to live his life without ever seeing anything. Mm-hmm. And what right. opportunities he would have or not have. Yeah. Yeah, that's something. A, that's something else. Great. Yeah, that's something else. Yeah, that's really something else. Um, I know you got to go to dinner, but I did want to just very quickly before we um, before we wrap up, I wanted to ask because we talked about this the other day, but I think it's it's quite important. You, I knew what was coming when you did the compassion exercise the other mm-hmm. day, mm-hmm. and I loved watching the room. Mm-hmm. Loved watching the room. In this giving to, to to find happiness and s- sustainable happiness and, and contentment and this goosebump feeling in the giving and not being selfish there is also compassion and having compassion and that happiness can come from come from compassion but like you said I thought it was very interesting it's very easy to love the lovable mm-hmm. when did you first have you been able to yourself love those who are unlovable? Um, I had a very peculiar uh, experience, and I hope the uh, the listeners are not eating at this moment. The but... things they've heard on this show, Eiji right. san, it's right. going to be all right. Okay, got it. Um, so I was told by scientists who studied the brain activities and leading scientists uh, we interviewed. And uh, uh, they all said that the compassion leads to happiness. And I thought, okay. And then I, over and over again, saw lots of evidence. So I thought like, okay, here I am, not as a, just a filmmaker, but as a person who was stuck, you know, in terms of happiness. So I wanted to increase my happiness. And then it seems like a compassion is the key for happiness. So I thought like, man, I have a homework. I have to increase my compassion. And I've done like a lot of uh, meditations and, uh, you know, the contemplative techniques and I learned and then uh, positive psychology. And I did, I did all that, but I thought that I have to do more in terms of compassion training. 
So uh, I uh, I sign up for uh, three weeks uh, volunteer uh, opportunities in Barcelona because I was looking for some occasion where I can cultivate my compassion. And interestingly, uh, the neuroscientist that I got to know said that, that if you really, really commit, if you really do good act of kindness, you experience small nirvana. And I thought, wow, that's a strong statement and I want nirvana, you know, without smoking anything, you know. But um, so or, I thought, or doing <laughs> yoga for 20 years or right, something. Right, right. I wanted to still be decent. So I thought, okay, compassion works. So I was like so excited. Okay, I'm going to Barcelona, do this volunteer activities. And then uh, it was uh, uh, serving the patients at the uh, institute, which look after the people with cerebral palsy, you know. And uh, I've never done it, but I thought, you know, I saw the image of the people with very heavy uh, physical disadvantage. And then uh, I thought, that, wow, that's, that's like, a, that must be good compassion, you know, uh, training uh, uh, place. So I flew from Asia uh, to Barcelona and uh, started my work. And uh, first week, I got uh, this assignment, uh, which is to, you know, go to park with the patients in wheelchair. I push the wheelchairs and then uh, go to the park in the center of uh, Barcelona and uh, get them enjoy this, the, the sun, you know, so sunbathing. It's good for their health. And it was good, like, uh, you know, I pushed the wheelchair and uh, uh, patients were like happy, smiley. And then it's also good good for my ego, like uh, Barcelona, lots of tourists looking at me. Oh, this uh, Asian man is a kind man. So, you know, my ego was also nicely massaged. <laughs> so, so sure enough, okay, uh, compassion leads to happiness mm, to some degree, okay. So first week I did that, good, first week, right. Then second week, uh, I got a new assignment. Uh, okay, Aji-san, here's uh, another task that you can do. And what is it? Uh, and uh, it was to uh, spoon feed, you know, the patients because their neck is so fragile. So you have to kind of like a hold them like a baby, support their neck and spine, and then slowly feed them, you know. And then, uh, uh, okay, that's my job. So I was like for one week, I was like feeding them three times a day, you know, feeding them. And they are so vulnerable looking at me and then I thought, okay, well, you know, it's a good feeling. You know, my compassion is certainly increased than the previous week. But there's a certain resentment because it was far, far away from this little nirvana. You know, here I am, like came from all the way from Asia to Barcelona and spending, you know, uh, good amount of money to get here but I had like a little compassion increase you know I was expecting like Nirvana right yeah you know maybe I should have done something else but second week ended and then the third week final week I got a new assignment and uh, what was it I asked and then uh, they said okay you go to toilet with patient and then uh, uh, the patients have to do their job, uh, big stuff. And then uh, you have to clean them, you know. Then I said, wait, 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 you know, uh, I'm just a volunteer, you know. 
I can, I can push wheelchair, I can spoon feed, but I cannot wipe somebody else's ass. And then we are not talking about like children, we are talking about adults, you know, big Spanish dudes, you know, and then the uh, ladies, you know. Um, so, you know, I have this like a self-imposed limitation, you know. You know, I can do a lot of things of compassion, but I can't do that. But I said, well, you know, what the hell, you know, they expect me to do the job. Okay, I'll go in. So I uh, went to, into a toilet with uh, Fernando, who is like a mid-50s, bold, like a big guy, right? And then uh, uh, he's totally vulnerable. I pushed the wheelchair in and then uh, uh, I was thinking that, okay, I leave Fernando in the toilet and I can just wait outside, you know? And then he kind of like signal and I come in and clean up. It wasn't the case. You somehow have to stay with the patient in the toilet. And the toilet is interestingly, I don't know why bad design, there's no windows. So it's like completely closed up. And then, uh, so you went in and then uh, uh, Fernando start doing his things. And uh, I can hear the sound, you know, and then uh, if the smell is so intense, the kind of smells that hurt your eyes kind of smell. It was like, a, oh my God, what? It's not so bad when it's you, <laughs> but when it's someone else. Right, right, right. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, and it was like, a, what the, like Spanish foods, like I, I cursed Spanish foods. All that paella. <laughs> yeah, paella, yeah. And it was so intense, and I was like, oh my God, I didn't sign up for this. And uh, after a while, like, you know, Fernando really relieved, finished his job, and here's my turn to clean him up. You know, I mean, I'm struggling, and I'm like, I can see my limit is coming up. I was, uh, uh, I, I got some toilet paper rolled up in my hand, right hand, and then uh, I just, you know, reached out, and it's, it's, uh, it's kind of like, you know, you feel the moisture, although it's, your hand is completely clean, because it's the toilet paper in between, but you feel the moisture, smells intense, and I'm like, I felt that, uh, you know, I'm reaching to my limit, you know, upper limit of my tolerance, you know. I was reaching out, oh my God. I didn't have enough courage to check it on the first stroke. So I, I just throw it away like directly, right? Okay, second time. Reaching out, wiping. Well, you, still, you, weren't, you weren't looking? Yeah, still, still I didn't have courage. So I just throw it away. Third time, okay. Reaching out, wiping. Uh, can I see it? Like, I'm like almost up to my limitation, right? Can I see it? Can I see it? I still have, didn't have the courage. I threw it away. Fourth time, I get the toilet paper. And we're, I'm talk, we're talking like 20 sheets. So. Yeah, 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 20 sheets. Yeah. It's like a glove. Like a yeah. glove of toilet paper. Right. I reached out, and then I have to make sure, otherwise he's not clean, so I have to look at it, you know? And I'm up to here in terms of my self-imposed limitation. I reached out and with courage, I thought, okay, this time I have to check if it's clean enough. I turn, you know, I, uh, I slowly move my hands and then uh, seeing, like uh, the, uh, trying to see what's on the toilet paper. It's like, oh my God, oh my God, oh shit, oh shit, literally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit, oh shit. When I saw it, I'm not kidding. I saw love. I saw love, like a brownish love, 
on the toilet paper. And I'm not Christian, but I heard this, hallelujah, <laughs> hallelujah. Like something happened to me, like, oh my God, you know. And then uh, after this, you know, um, something happened. And then uh, I, from that moment on, the Fernando's uh, comfort becomes my comfort. Fernando's uh, discomfort because became my discomfort. Like I'm like connected with him at the deeper level. I was just like hugging and uh, kissing and uh, tears in my eyes. And uh, long story short, like uh, for the entire week, I'm just like a weird looking Asian man, you know, like a standing with a big smile in front of the toilet. <laughs> so everybody comes, I'm the uh, dedicated like uh, ass wiper, you know. <laughs> And uh, that was like life changing. And then, uh, and then I see what the uh, the doctor said. You know, new bada. I experienced a little new bada. And then what I learned was that the uh, it's easy to love lovable. You know, like little puppy, little kids, your own son, your own daughter. Yeah, it's no brainer. We are hardwired to love somebody like beautiful girls and, and uh, you know. We can, we are capable of love, but the real juice is hidden when the when you pass that self-imposed limitation and love anybody unconditionally. And uh, um, I published a, a biography of uh, Mother Teresa in Japanese manga format, a comic book series that I did. And uh, so, in order to publish a biography about somebody, I, we have to do lots of investigation and research. And one time, Mother Teresa said something like, um, "You have to, you have to give until it hurts. Then beyond that, there's only love." Something like that, she said. And I didn't understand uh, when I first read it, but after this hallelujah moment, I kind of felt that the Okay, so the real juice of compassion is hidden when uh, you love unconditionally and then beyond the seeming limitation of uh, your compassion. And uh, yeah, then after that, other people become you, kind of. So, amen. <laughs> I don't know if you can see because it's getting a bit dark in here, but I've got tears in my eyes. Hey, <laughs> yeah. I really do. Mm. Um, that's 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 really beautiful. That's really beautiful. I I do when you say you got to love until it hurts. I was talking with. Um, my friend this morning on our bicycle ride, he was asking me what, mm. what you did the other day. I was talking about, um, E.G. did a, an exercise on compassion. And it led us in a compassionate meditation and then showed us the footage of um, that television reporter. Uh, was she Serbian? Was she? Uh, Hungarian. Hungarian. Ter yeah. A Hungarian um, TV reporter tripping the fleeing Syrian refugees. And the exercise was even though it's a despicable act, it doesn't make her a despicable human. Mm -hmm. And how do we find compassion for her? And how far can that compassion go? And we were, we were talking about, you know, the idea that in, uh, in Germany, mm -hmm. um, it's unfortunate 
in our you know society, no, just generally, it's unfortunate. I should say, it's unfortunate, but human sexuality, um, some tiny spectrum of human sexuality, is an attraction to children. Mm-hmm. Now in Germany, there's a, a free program that if you find yourself in this little spectrum, you can get treated. Mm-hmm. And the psychologist will work with you and, and help you. So, because people, I don't want this. This mm-hmm. is, society looks, this is horrible. I don't want this. I want help before I do something. Mm-hmm. In North America, in parts of North America, if this person was to go to a doctor, that doctor is bound to report them. Mm-hmm. And they end up in, right. in prison. Man. Yeah. The inclusive versus exclusive. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, the idea that to try and be compassionate to this this person, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's it's tough. Right, right. It's it's tough. You know, right. you, you, we see the horrific things going on in Syria right now. It's mm-hmm. like, how can you be compassionate to those people? Mm-hmm. That's hard, man. Right, right. That's hard. Yeah. That's uh, again like a, you know, there's no way that I would defend uh, some child. Uh, you know, uh, abuse or no, 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 me neither. Oh God, no, yeah, me, don't I, get me yeah, wrong. No, I me mean, I, I, I'm totally with you. I mean, you know, the what the, this Hungarian reporter did—it was horrendous acts. Yeah, but um, humanity can do better than that. Uh, instead of like a, you know, uh, you know, pinpointing them and then criticizing. Witch but, hunt, just yeah, chasing her just, down in the street, yeah. yeah. And then uh, we can, by, um, you know, these are also human, you know. I mean, so maybe by including them, there's a better way to, you know, solve. I, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's a, I don't have, um, you know, the children who got abused or, you know, I'm not a Syrian. So it's hard for me, like, you know, who am I to tell everybody about this but uh, I think the key is that uh, uh, whenever the emotion happens you know when I saw the video of this Hungarian woman or when I hear about the child child abusers the the anger comes up you know I wanted to punish them and they should be punished to some extent but um, I always challenge myself to do more uh, from that point on. I mean, can I, can I, but at least you know, they get punished and uh, everybody else is punishing them. Maybe there's something that uh, we can do. So like uh, the early question, like uh, loving the uh, unlovable is, is, or loving people unconditionally, maybe good uh, to, to one's uh, happiness. It's certainly a better feeling than being angry. Yeah. Right. Um, can I give you like one more? Mate, so, yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. So, I'm just sitting around here tonight doing work for Australia. I'm going to be on that couch all night. You're yeah. the one that's got to get to dinner. <laughs> right, right. Um, so, uh, um, back to Japanese commuting train. Yeah. Okay. We've all seen pictures. We've all seen right. people getting stuffed into trains. Right, right. Packed. That's around like between seven and nine. <laughs> I mean, but, but it's like very crowded. Yeah. I, um, after this compassionate training, so to speak, um, I went back to Japan 
and then uh, uh, had to take the uh, earliest train. Uh, is after Barcelona. After Barcelona. After Fernando. And after all the uh, uh, compassion meditation training and all. And then uh, I learned one thing or two about compassion, you know. So I wanted to apply. And then I'm back in this uh, uh, train. But it was uh, the, the first train of the day. So obviously not packed, you know. You can still sit, you know, there are a uh, few people on the train. And uh, from Yokohama station uh, to the center of Tokyo, I took uh, this train uh, called the uh, uh, Toyoko Line. Uh, and uh, I got on and I sat because, you know, it was pretty empty. And uh, right next to me, there's a, a Japanese gentleman of uh, my age, my height, you know, uh, probably my socioeconomic status, you know, sit next to me. I don't know him. He doesn't know me. And then we sat. And then, uh, you know, because I was uh, like a bit sleepy, uh, I, you know, sit and then I start like, uh, you know, uh, closing my eyes. And then he did the same thing. Train started. And the next station, you know, uh, door opens, but we kept, uh, I bet he was closing his eyes too. And then uh, uh, after the, uh, uh, as soon as the train left the, the, the station, I, again, sorry about smelling uh, story again, but I felt this like an intense sour smell and then I thought what the hell is going on I opened up my eyes and then there was a, a homeless lady uh, you know moving in and then actually in the very early in the day there are a bunch of people who cannot be well accepted in the, uh, the society you know take the, the earliest train to move to somewhere because otherwise you know people will complain and so so there are you know, besides this uh, homeless lady, there are, actually I noticed that there are people with handicap and, and uh, you know, uh, actually people with some deformity, you know, take the early train. What was the other word? The I keep forgetting it. You said there were two classes. The oh, kachigumi, makegumi. So definitely a bunch of uh, makegumi people in it. And then uh, uh, I smell this like I, I smell this like intense uh, sour. Mm. Uh, order and then I saw that this uh, like a lady homeless lady, but she's not the kind of a homeless lady who completely given up. You know, there are people who look, you know, the homeless, right? Mm. She's still trying heavily to get back to the ordinal society. Maybe she was recently uh, fired and lost, you know, her mm. apartment. So she is like she looked decent. But if you see close to close, see close, like her hair is a bit oily, the uh, the the colors of the shirt uh, is nicely buttoned up, but the uh, edge is like really dirty, you know. So that's a uh, she's trying, but uh, she you can see and smell that she's definitely not wealthy. And then uh, so I I recognize it, then I close my eyes, uh, but I notice that the, the the man next to me was really irritated, you know, and smelling like a kind of obviously giving a like very bad look, you know, against this smell. And she was like, you know, he was like, a, you know, making this noise, like, you know, showing the little mm. upset. And then a the train went on to another station, stopped, and uh, uh, she didn't leave. So we are still in the same compartment. And then uh, he is getting increasingly irritated, you know, Again, like a, you know, giving like a louder noise, like, 
and then you know in Japanese we say takio means like a what the hell you know why are you here like kind of whispering so that she can hear so constantly pressuring her then at the same time I thought that okay this is a perfect opportunity to practice my compassion you know this guy is sending hate towards her I said okay I'll send her compassion you know to her so I, I start thinking that I feel really sorry for what happened to her I'm wishing her you know maybe I'm just making up like a successful job interview or she may find like a safety nest you know blah 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 I start sending it next station his anger was completely obvious you know he was like make you know making a noise with a foot and then kind of like a you know his uh, body is like half over and then like, you know trying to like kick her out with the eyes out of her out of the train. yeah you know you see the image right giving her bad looks right 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 make her very intensely right so the, the this poor lady started kind of noticing it and but felt kind of like a uncomfortable but she had to get to the destination so she couldn't get off so every single stop his anger gets more and more you know explosive it didn't you know like increasing but I kept on sending like okay this guy's uh, this guy's you know giving you a bad look but uh, you know the the old lady uh, I wish you the best blah, blah, blah. still I'm smelling this intense smell he's smelling the same thing long story short uh, she didn't get off until the uh, the final the station we three of us all get off and he was like he was furious you know until the very last moment I was smelling the bad smell like him but my peace my I was peaceful I was loving uh, I was very comfortable so this uh, one train light uh, is almost like a life you know anything could happen you know some unpleasant experience such as like accident or laid off or you know broke up or somebody's death but if you deal with that uh, with sense of compassion and care then your life is easier just like my how my uh, how easy got uh, my ride was with compassion so uh, yeah, I think this uh, something that I wanted to share and then I felt that I changed a lot you know since my asshole you know uh, narcissistic asshole kachigumi days Ichi, I can't thank you enough for coming, man. All right, thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. I've had such a great week with you here. Mm -hmm. um, I'm so grateful that, you know, from the first time we spoke on, on the Skype and, the, you know, the, the, the gifts you gave to people that came here to Amsterdam for the school and the gift you're giving us now. I'm just really, thanks a lot, man. No, thank you for doing this. And uh, it's a collaborative work. We'll make humanity better yeah, man. together. So I'm going to take your photo with that camera, okay? Yeah, sure, sure. Bring it. Cool, man. Yeah. All right. All right. That was Iji Hanshimis. If you liked him, you can find him on Twitter at Latin Samurai. Check out his film, thehappymovie.com. You can also find Iji's work at latinsamurai.com. He's a fascinating man. Go exploring. Go look up his TED Talk. Really interesting guy. I, I really got a lot out of that conversation, and listening to it again, making this show really, really helped me on the day that I was describing earlier in the show. If you like this show, thank you so much for being here. You can have this show each and every week automatically downloaded into your phone. 
by using the podcast out of your choice and simply subscribing. You can email me, sendosher email at gmail.com. Uh, find me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You know where to find me. Uh, until the next time I see you, I'm, as any kind of good boyfriend, being taken into town to buy new clothes because, you know, I'm a man over 40. I wear the same five things. That's it. Audrey's like, nah, we need to get you some new clothes because black t-shirt and black pants everywhere to everything isn't really cutting it. It worked for Johnny Cash. Doesn't work for her. Okay. I guess I'm going shopping. Grateful that I live in a country where I can do such a thing. All right. I've got to split. Uh, thank you so much for being a part of the show. I can't wait to bring you next week's show. It's a goodie. All right. I love you. Thanks for being here. Until I speak to you next time, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.